0: Thanks for watching this episode of turning to him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hi everybody. Welcome to turning to him. My name is Zach Batty and I am here with Brian Meekham. Brian, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks very much for joining us. Um, You described yourself. You, you said you've been married for 23 years. You've got three kids and two dogs. Uh, what I else do. would you to that? <laughs> so,
1: yeah, uh, my kids are all older. I've got a 20-year-old that's working, and he works with me, actually. And then I got a 19-year-old that's uh, up at Utah State University. My daughter's a senior in high school this year, and uh, like we have two dogs. Uh, one of them was a surprise when my wife and I got home from a weekend away. Our kids had decided they needed another one, so... We got home to a
0: brand new dog. <laughs> what kind of dog was it? Or is it? It's a,
1: it, it, it's a pit bull mix. So it's a, we've had Shih Tzus in the past, and we actually had to put two of them down within a month of each other. And oh, no. so they thought that our that our third dog that was left needed a friend. So they went to a shelter and rescued one for us. So.
0: I tell you but, what, that's quite a, quite a surprise.
1: It is. Wow. <laughs> Uh, what do you do for work? So I work in a in, in a manufacturing shop. Everything we make is orthopedic. It goes in the spine. So okay. I'm, um, I was actually promoted today as to, to to be the quality manager for that shop. So,
0: well, congratulations!
1: It's been, it's been a pretty good day. So,
0: yeah, well, that's great. And you get to work there with your son, with one of your sons. I do. Yeah, it's fun. So, that's great. That's yeah. Fun. Um. Well, give us some background as far as uh, what you want to talk about tonight. What, okay. what do you want to share?
1: So, I've had health problems for a majority of my life. Uh, kind of started when I was 13. Uh, my dad owned a restaurant, a couple of them actually at the time. And I was working, washing dishes one night. Got really bad pain in my left knee and told him I just couldn't work anymore. So, he had me sit in the office for the rest of the night. And after he got closed, Closed the restaurant up and stuff. He came and checked on me and my knee was swollen to about two or three times the size. And so he took me to the emergency room up at the hospital and uh, they drained some fluid and ran a bunch of tests and diagnosed me with a fairly rare disease. It's called Wegener's granulomatosis. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's affected my kidneys. I've had two kidney transplants over the years.
2: Um so yeah so that's kind of wow. my history so that
0: Yeah let's let's get into that. Um tell me about uh what was life like for you growing up? So I had a good
1: life, you know, grew up in the church, uh, lived in Utah my whole life. Um you know, I was active in all kinds of sports. Um you know, my dad when I was younger before he opened the restaurant, he uh he was he traveled a lot for work, so he was gone most of the time. But um he worked for my grandfather actually, and my grandfather passed away and the business got sold and so that's when he decided to open the restaurant. But um and it was, you know, a good life, you know. I my dream was to always play football. My dad said I couldn't until I was in ninth grade and I got sick in eighth grade and then the doctor said I couldn't play because of my oh. kidneys. So, <laughs> oh, no. but you know, I just, I've, you know, I'm a big sports fan, you know, he, I always played baseball and stuff like that. And uh, cause I couldn't play football and my Bishop uh, just before I started high school, he was, he, he, he was actually one of the coaches at BYU and he got me in contact with the high school coach. And so I was able to help with the, football teams throughout high school. And so
0: I was still oh, a part great. of it. So it was good. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, how many siblings do you have?
1: So I have four sisters. I'm the oldest and then I've got four younger sisters.
2: So,
0: okay. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like growing up again, you had a, a great life. Like you said. Yeah. yeah. It was really good. Okay. Uh, and it sounds like you're pretty close to your dad.
1: Yeah, we were. Yeah. We've always been really close. I've worked like I said, I worked with them at the restaurant. Um, and you know, we've did a lot of things. We both enjoy sports and with four sisters it was usually just the two of us. Okay. You know, watching games, going to games and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, we were really close. So
2: And
0: I mean that's hard work to start up a restaurant. Was it definitely a family business? Were all of you involved in that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So myself and my sisters, we all worked there at at certain times. And, yeah. You know, I worked out, I worked there until it closed down. So. Okay.
0: All right. So you're living a standard, uh, eighth grade life, washing dishes. And so this is strange because this isn't an injury. It's right. just manifested itself in one yeah. night. Well,
1: for, for probably about a month or so before this, I was having pains in my joints at night. Okay. And my parents just said it was probably growing pain, so we right. didn't really worry too much about it. And then, yeah, it just kind of manifested itself on this one night.
0: Okay, so you go, you have your knee drained. They do some additional tests. How much time between having your knee drained and the diagnosis?
1: It was about a month. So I remember the ward we were in at the time had a fast, to, you know, because it was taking some time to kind of figure things out and we were going to a lot of doctors and um they had a fast and um they they diagnosed me shortly after that that fast
2: so that was kind of the first my my first real experience with you know um first strong you know
1: experience with fasting and prayer and things like that was that they were able to diagnose it when i was first diagnosed I was only the third person ever in Utah to be diagnosed with this disease. And I was the youngest person ever at the time. So so this is
0: exceedingly rare.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was at the time. It's a little more prevalent now, I believe. I've met a couple other people that have had it, actually. Um, And it usually affects the sinuses, the lungs, and the kidneys. And they always thought because my kidneys were the least developed, that's why it um, affected those.
2: That's why why I had the most issues with my kidneys.
0: Tell me about um, what effect does that have on a ninth grader to be a part of a ward fast and to have this experience, this testimony start to grow about fasting? I mean, that's something that uh, I think not a lot of us have a good understanding
2: of. It was quite it was an amazing
1: experience. I wasn't able, I wouldn't, they had a big meeting, you know, and I wasn't able to go to that. I was,
2: you know, I was pretty sick at the time. And, uh, but just knowing that they all,
1: you know, that there was that many people that cared about me that were willing to do that. I mean, do that for me, you know, as a 13 year old going without food is, you know, is not an easy thing. And, right. to, you know, to realize that that many people did that for me and that the prayers were answered and that they were able to diagnose it and get a treatment plan together pretty quickly. Um, you know, we'd read story, you know, other stories from, you know, we didn't have the Internet back then, but, you know, we were able to find other stories of people that had died waiting for a diagnosis. And for them to catch it that quickly, something that rare was was it was amazing.
0: Okay, so this is a terminal disease. I mean, I mean, this can be a terminal disease. It can be,
1: yeah. So, so, so basically, I did chemotherapy from the age of 13 to age 18. Um, I might have to go in once a month to the hospital overnight and get treated. We try to schedule it for a Friday so that, you know, I could kind of be sick on the weekends and hopefully make it back to school. I was out of school for, I think, two or three months while they were getting everything figured out. Um, I had one of my teachers that would bring homework from the my English and math and history class, you know, the important classes. And she'd come over
2: and kind of help me once a week and so I could stay up in school. But, uh, yeah. All right.
0: Um, So from from diagnosis to treatment, how much time passes?
1: It was about a month. They got started pretty quickly once they figured out what it was.
2: And, okay. Um,
0: yeah. And go ahead. And then, and then treatment is like you said, basically chemotherapy. Yeah. So this is not take a pill twice a day and you're back out playing right.
1: baseball. No. So yeah, it took it took like I said, five years for it to go into remission. Um.
2: So yeah, about eighteen, I went into remission. Um. I was able to I was able to be cleared to, to uh, serve a mission. And okay. I served for about four months and then things started flaring up and I got sent home.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a huge weight for a teenager to carry.
2: Tell me. It what is. You're... I had a lot of support. I had family support. Um, my uh, you know, I had friends that
1: would come see me in the hospital when I was there. Um, my dad's restaurant was in Provo. So the managers would get like, uh, like um, Lavelle Edwards came and saw me in the hospital. The coach of BYU, Sean Bradley was a basca- you know, basketball player at BYU. He came and visited me at my house. I had a lot of support. My dad was a young men's uh, leader in our ward. And the young men would come over and just hang out with me. And you know, if my parents were gone, I don't know if my dad arranged it that way, but they'd just show up and sit and watch movies with me or whatever. So I just yeah. I had a, t I've always had a ton of support. Even when I was in the hospital, you know, my parents had four other kids. My dad was running a restaurant, and so they couldn't be there all the time. But the nurses and the doctors, you know, I had nurses, the nurses would, if they were ordering midnight food overnight. They'd come see if I wanted anything. And I just had, I've always had amazing people in my life that have blessed me to be able to get through all of this.
0: Well, that's a fantastic perspective to have. Uh, There's a lot to learn there. Um, Talk to me about when you are in the seventh grade, eighth grade, tell me about your relationship with the Savior at that point. Was the church a big part of your life?
1: It was. We, yeah. We were active in church. Um, there were times where my parents, you know, we'd kind of have some spells where we probably weren't as active as other times. But I was pretty active. I was the deacons' corn president at the time, and um, and uh, you know, we were we were fairly active. It was okay. it was a, it was a big part of my life.
2: So.
0: And then you start going through this experience from, from, you said, I think 13 years old to 18 years old, so five years. Yeah. This is a, I imagine, a long, ruling experience.
2: It was, yeah.
0: Tell me about your relationship with the Savior during that time. Does it change?
1: It does. I mean, you're laying in a hospital room by yourself a lot at
2: night, and you know, you're you get lonely, and you know sometimes, you know sometimes scared. You
1: know, you got nurses coming in, you got different people coming in all hours of the night, giving you stuff,
2: and a lot of prayers, a lot of knowing He's there for you. You know, and I've had that experience, even
1: you know later on in life. But I think that really started the foundation of
2: knowing that he's there and knowing that he will, you know, he's there for you and he'll protect you. and Yeah. And so you are, you've described it, that you had a
0: lot of support, that you're surrounded by these individuals who are caring for you and really buoying you up. Um, what an
2: example of being the savior's hands. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was the first time uh, getting chemotherapy like? You know, it wasn't it's not, it wasn't
1: as bad as like cancer patients get, you know it was, I'd have to go overnight just to be monitored but I don't know if I remember the first time I know there were times that I'd be so sick afterwards that it was just it was it was not fun, but I remember, I think one of the earlier times, uh, my dad and his cousin were partners in the restaurant and we all have always loved Mexican food and they'd come pick me up and we'd go eat afterwards at this Mexican restaurant that was close to the hospital. And, um, you know, we were there often enough that the waiters kind of knew us. And there was one time where I just wasn't, eating like I usually did, you know, I was just so sick and, uh, um, you know, the waiter was kind of asking what was going on
2: and, you know, it was just, so I, I remember stuff like that. Um, I remember, you know, just getting home and just sleeping for pretty much, you know, two or, you know, a day or two, just trying to get over the nausea and everything. And
0: Yeah. All right. So major life change for your entire high school career. Yeah. And everything. Um, Tell me about your group of friends, the young men's. So
1: I had an amazing group of friends. So we lived in South Jordan um, when this all started and there was quite a few people in my ward that were amazing, but I also have friends from school that we were really close. Um, I moved to, we moved to Orem
2: just about the last quarter of my ninth grade year before I started high school. And there were 30, 30
1: guys, my age in my neighborhood, all in my ward. And we did everything together. I mean, we, uh, All day long, we'd, uh, you know, during the summer, we were always playing basketball or baseball or we'd set up a little golf course around the neighborhood. And we used (laughs) little wiffle golf balls, hitting them over houses and stuff like that. um, But, yeah, we were always doing stuff. You know, they were. They always took care of me. Um, I remember high adventure camp. We were hiking and I
2: just I didn't have the strength to do it. And, uh, they just, you know, I could only, it was a backpacking trip and I could only go a certain amount
1: of time before I was just exhausted. And they all just, you know, helped me. They carried my pack, did whatever they could do to help me get through it. And I ended up having to leave halfway through just cause I was slowing everybody down and didn't, you know, didn't want to didn't want to do that. And it was, it was just too hard on my body. So one yeah. of the leaders was coming home early, so I came home, but that's,
2: you know, they've always, they've always, you know, been a huge support. They've always done whatever they could for me.
0: Wow. Well, it sounds like the relationship was mutually beneficial. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, you graduate high school. Yeah. You get cleared to serve a mission. What does that feel like?
1: It was it was really cool. Um, I could only go to the United States or uh, like England, yeah, uh, you know. And uh, I got called to the, the Tacoma, Washington mission. Okay. I was so sure I was going to the East Coast that I opened my call and I'm like, "Where's Washington?" You know, I think in the East Coast. Yes. <laughs> it took me a minute, and uh,
2: yeah, um, it was it was awesome. I you know I got there, got up there at Tacoma, and
1: my first companion was getting ready to go home. He was needed a visa to go home and have some issues, so he got extended a little bit. And then um, I was actually I had two companions for a little bit after he left, mm-hmm. and uh, I got some money for Christmas. We were in a small town. The state center was in uh was in Olympia. We had a baptism it was just after uh, Saturday after Christmas, so I took my companions out to lunch, and uh, they said they had to go to the restroom. And they come back and said, "You got a phone call." And this was, you know, it was a pay phone in the in the entrance of the restaurant. And it was the mission president and my mom on a three way call. They had called the mission president. They were concerned about me. Okay, they knew I was struggling. I didn't want I didn't want to come home. I I've never appreciated getting special treatment because of my illness. Mm-hmm. Um, actually when I got, you know, like was all excited, order a, ordered a bike before my mission to have it, you know, there when I got there and I got there and they pulled me aside and said, because of your health, you can't have a bike. You're going to be in a car your whole mission. And First letter from my mom was don't be angry. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she knew kind of what my reaction would be. And, uh, but, yeah, they had called. they were concerned, so I ended up in the emergency room while we were there in Olympia, and uh the doctor said
2: it would just be better if you went home to your doctors, figure out what was going on and uh so uh
1: went home, called the mission president, and told them what the doctor said, and they had me on a flight the next day. it was new year's Eve, okay, and uh I flew home and. I kinda had a hard time in my life at that point. I kinda felt like the
2: Lord didn't want me, didn't need me, and kinda went through a phase where I never went fully inactive from the church, but I was very hit and miss as to when I would go. And I uh struggled a little bit at that time. Sure. And that's
0: um I'm just, I'm doing the math a little bit. If you've been married for 23 years, um, it's been a little bit since you've been on your mission. That was, uh, I think you and I are probably close to the same age. And yeah. Back then, back then, the culture was very much so. Um, it's never easy to come home early from a mission, but back then, right. I think it was a lot harder. Yeah. It was a lot harder than it is today.
1: Yeah. It was 96. I had, we had, we actually had about 50 missionaries out from my ward. Okay when I when I was serving and all my friends were out and it was, you know it was kinda hard. Like I said, I've never liked special treatment. I've always, you know, wanted to try
2: to be able to do what everybody else can do. Um and uh so it made it hard in my life and I so um You said there
0: was some anger there. Anger and, and kind of disappointment that maybe the Lord
2: didn't want you anymore or didn't need you. Uh, how long did that last? It was probably probably four or five years. Really.
1: I mean it kind of it was really it kinda of lessened as time went on um but as far as activity in the church it was like i said i would go here and there um i lived you know in BYU housing my my parents moved back up to the salt lake area uh shortly after my dad's restaurant went went uh went out of business and uh i stayed down there in some BYU housing and um you know i i went to church
2: here and there with my roommates or I had a girlfriend at the time and I'd go to church with her, but I never, I mean, like I said, I had that understanding that Jesus was always there for me, but Mm -hmm. it just, it was hard for me to feel that at that time. Yeah. So during these, uh, during this time, are you going to school?
1: I'm not. I was just working. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd never, I never... I'm actually going to school now. I finish up. I've started a few times. And so yeah. I'm in school right now trying to finish everything up.
0: But. Okay, congratulations. Thanks. Okay, so... So you come home from your mission and, and you're at a low point. Yeah. It's tough. And you're there for a number of years.
2: Yeah. What...
0: What happens? What changes?
1: I met my wife. <laughs>
0: They'll do that to you. <laughs>
1: they will. <laughs> so yeah,
2: I met her um, in two thousand, and uh, we weren't we, we we were married civilly first, mm-hmm. um, and then something just
1: snapped in both of us, and. About a year and a half after we got married civilly, we were sealed
2: in the temple. And, uh, yeah, she just, she lit that fire in me. And
0: Okay, so I want to explore that more because you said that just something inside both of you just snapped. You mean, like, one day you just wake up and look over and say, I think I want to start going to church.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, we went here and there. Um, but, yeah, we just something snapped in us and we just, you know, we told my, we told both of our parents that we would be sealed in the temple. We made that promise to them when we were married, you know, first married. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know, something just, yeah. It just, we woke up one day. I mean, we'd been working towards some stuff, but it wasn't really hard. And then all of a sudden something just clicked. And we uh, started meeting with the Bishop and, to get back, you know, to get our temple recommends
2: back and stuff like that, and it was about, um, it was about a month, and we just started hitting everything really hard, and we able to be sealed.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, you don't hear that a lot. It was just kind of yeah out of the blue. Something hits you. Yeah. Uh, did you have any kids at the time? We did not. We were actually told we would never have kids. Oh my gosh!
1: Because of the chemotherapy I was on, the doctor said we'd never have kids. Okay. And so I told her that because I knew she wanted kids. I told her that when things started getting serious between us, and she was okay with it. And then, and I, I don't know if you know, I kind of wonder because we didn't really have kids. You know, we'd kind of been trying, but, and we hadn't been married that long. But uh, <laughs> after
2: we got sealed in the temple, um, you know, it was about a year later that we had our, our first son. So. Wow. Yeah.
0: To go from being told that you're never going to have kids to, you know, I mean, after two and a half years of being married, you've got one on the way. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: oh my gosh i don't oh, know if
2: that
1: was kind of the lord saying you know you got to do this the right way so <laughs> yeah if you're going to bring kids into this world you got to do it the right way So, <laughs> but yeah so then uh and after our first son was born all the doctors you know said that was a miracle it's never going to happen again we don't know how that one happened
2: <laughs> and then a few months later. We were pregnant again, so. Wow. Okay. Um, Talk to me about,
0: was there any forgiveness? uh, Let's see, is
2: forgiveness the right word? Did you ever have to have a conversation with your Savior? You
0: know, about, about like, hey what's going on here? Or did the, did
2: the anger ever leave? It did. It did. Um, I found that when things are going rough for me, if I serve others,
1: it helps me get through things a lot easier. And I found that um, I did have that have that conversation with him and I kind of, you know, feel like Laman and Lemuel. I've never seen, and I've never had an angel appear to me, but I've seen so many miracles in my life. And still there's times in my
2: life where it's like, you know, why am I doing this? You know, why am I, why am I not
1: living better than I should be? Because I know that he's there. I know that he cares about me. I know that he knows me. And this was, that was the biggest time in my life I've seen so many miracles with my health I've seen
2: miracles on my mission you know and I had to humble myself and that's and there's still times even today that I have to you know humble myself and
1: you know for and uh remember that he is there for me
0: yeah. Well, I tell you what, Brian, I think that when any of us take a deep look at ourselves, we've probably got more and Lemuel in us than, than we'd like to admit. Right. Uh, and I love what you said of, you know, I have seen so many miracles. Why am I living this way? Again, I think all of us either have said that to ourselves or could say that to ourselves. Um. What do you do? What did you do then, and what do you do now? When you see yourself starting to slip more towards the Laman and Lemuel lifestyle, what do you do to help you get back towards the Nephi side of
2: the dial? Like I said, I I, I try to serve, um, whether it's in my callings or. Um, just any way I can, you know, I'm always, I try to always be there for people. Like when I first got home from my mission,
1: I was, there was one day I was at the hospital all day long running tests and in between breaks, they'd call for another from the church, you know, to give a blessing to somebody. And I probably gave three or four blessings to people that day.
2: And, you know, I've, I was involved with young men's for a long time and just, being able to serve
1: the young men and, you know, do yard work with them or whatever. I've just always tried to throw myself into service when
2: I'm feeling, when, when I'm feeling, when I'm not feeling like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah.
0: So at this time in your life, you have two kids now. Uh, you're, your activity in the church is strong. Your testimony is strong. Uh,
2: how's your health? So, um, about this time, we find out that my kidneys are getting to the point where I need my first transplant. Okay. So uh, I was on, I was on dialysis for about six months. Um, my daughter was born during this time. Um again i was i was blessed because
1: uh when i we found out i needed a transplant i had people that i didn't even know that were stepping up to be tested to be a be a donor for me um, the donor for my first transplant was a uh, she worked with my mom and my sisters and she actually grew up with my wife so she you know she knew my wife and i knew who she was
2: But uh, she just, you know, unselfishly stepped up and said she would donate. And
1: I had my first transplant in December of 2006. My daughter was
2: six months old. Mm. And uh, no, yeah, 2006. And uh, yeah, she donated for me. so.
0: So she was a match.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So she donates. What does the recovery look like for after a kidney transplant? So it's
1: easier on the recipient, actually, than it is the donor. But uh, I was in the hospital
2: for about a week, about five days. And then I got to come home, and uh, I was out of work for a few months. But uh, it really, other than having to go to the hospital, you have to go to the hospital, you know,
1: every like two or three times a week to start. And then it kind of slowly gets, uh, has more time in between each visit to where it's monthly. And then, you know, every six months, but uh, you just go up and they just test you for everything just to make sure everything's all right. It's not rejecting and, you know, it's a lot of medication, but, it's a lot better in dialysis, so
0: <laughs> okay um do you uh do you immediately start feeling better or oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, I woke up on in the recovery room and I
2: felt so much better than I did, okay, the day before, so yeah yeah,
0: okay, well, that's good uh and then I know you've had two kidney transplants,
2: yeah. So Talk to about the, the second
0: one.
1: So about three years to the day of the first one is when that rejected. Um, I was exactly. sick for a few months and I went
2: to doctors and nobody could figure anything out. Um
1: and uh my wife and I were kind of struggling because I was um wasn't working, you know, finding ex- I was sick, but she didn't realize what was going on. I was being tested for depression and all kinds of things. And uh, finally I went to uh, the the emergency room at uh, midnight and the doctor drew some blood and realized that my kidney was, had rejected.
2: Is that common? Um, No, it happens, but, um, but it, you know, they, uh, it's not real common that, that fast, but. It can't happen.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so again, it was Christmas time.
2: It was December and I was in the hospital for, you know, a few weeks, uh, probably two weeks. Um,
1: again, a lot of support family. My kids couldn't come see me cause I was, it was, you know, winter time and they weren't allowing kids. My kids were still young. Um, but i was able to go down to the cafeteria a couple of times and visit with them and but uh my uh you know again friends i had a one friend who came and spent the whole day with me at the hospital we just played games and just chatted and um they let me out right before christmas wow
0: and do you, uh, do you like struggle during christmas time it seems like all your stuff <laughs> happens around christmas <laughs> I,
1: I don't actually. So that Christmas, um, I got home and my wife's a nurse and she was working graveyard Christmas Eve. So I was home alone and I was getting some things put together for Christmas morning and, um, I'd lost my job. Actually, they called me just after I got admitted to the hospital to tell me, cause I'd missed so much work. So they told me that I didn't have a job anymore
2: and, uh, So anyway, so I uh, got home and it was just, it was going to be a small Christmas, but there was
1: a knock on the door and I went to the door and there was a pile of presents on the, on the front porch. And I still don't know who I did, you did that, but things like that, again, seeing those miracles, you know, just Christmas has always been fun for me because of seeing that kind of stuff, you know. I remember sitting in the hospital and my room overlooked Murray park
2: and I could see the Christmas lights every night. And I just sit there at the window and look at the Christmas lights. And, um, you know, there's, I've always had the attitude that there's always somebody that's got it worse than I do.
1: And so I, you know, but anyway, so I got home, you know, Christmas, and I, um, was on dialysis for almost seven years this time they couldn't find a match for me okay so i was blessed my kids were little they were all in elementary school so i i couldn't really work i was doing dialysis three times a week um and then the days in between were just rough on me sometimes so it was i couldn't work my wife was working so i was the pta dad at my kid's school I got to spend a lot of time with my kids and a lot of time that a lot of dads don't get to spend. Yeah. What a blessing. Yeah, it was. I was, I was there probably two or three times a week. I was helping other kids with, you know, reading and stuff like that. And my kids elementary school did popcorn Fridays once a month. And I was, I go in and pop popcorn all day long for all the students. And I was, yeah, the, all the teachers, You know, knew who I was, didn't know who my wife was, which was kind of a switch from how it usually is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had a blast. I was able to coach my kids' sports teams. I was, you know, my daughter still talks about she was in kindergarten and she had afternoon kindergarten. I'd take her sometimes to get lunch before and she still talks about that those times. And, you know, to be able to spend that time with them when they were young was really special to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a silver lining to a tough yeah. situation. Yeah, uh, your story makes me remember that you know there are times when we are receivers, and there are times when we are givers and contributors, and those two times aren't mutually exclusive; they can overlap. But, um, what a great example you are of being able to do what you can with the resources available, and when you need help, being able to receive it. And, and yeah. both of those are difficult. Both of those can be uncomfortable.
2: Right. Wow. Okay,
0: so seven years you're on dialysis. One day you get the message that there's a match, there's a donor. Well, it's a
1: little so. Okay. So there was so I had to go to California for the second transplant. They have so they had some new technology at the time that they were working on. So I actually had to go down for a year or so before I actually got the transplant and they would do what's called plasmapheresis where they take all the plasma out of my blood just to try to get my antibody levels down so I could be a match to somebody. And uh There was a doctor from the hospital down there that actually came up here to Utah to try to get this these programs going here in Utah and he worked with my kidney doctor here and things weren't moving quick enough for him so he went back to California so I had that contact down there um so I was doing that and then we were down there one time visiting the w we went and got the treatment and then we were meeting with this the doctors down there the transplant team And one of the doctors that I'd never met before was on rounds that day. And he said, it's too bad you don't have any siblings. And I said, well, I've got four sisters, but none of them are the same blood type. And he's like, well, that doesn't really matter. We've got this new thing we're doing where if it's a tissue match, and most relatives have a good tissue match, we can make your body, you know, we can make it to where your
2: body will accept a different blood type. And so, uh, you know, we, my wife and I were ecstatic,
1: you know, and we walked out of the hospital and we had to, we had that appointment and then we had a couple of hours to wait. And then we had to meet with some other people on the transplant team. And uh, so we called my, my family and
2: two of my sisters were tested the next day and they found one of my sisters was a good match.
1: And looking back, I mean, she, so her husband was in the, was in the army at the time and they traveled all over the, they'd been stationed all over the world. And, uh, she just, she was pregnant with her, with her, uh, last son, her fourth child or you know, the last baby she was going to have when they found this out. And, uh, or she just had him. I can't remember for sure, but, anyway so then he had some he was going to have some birth defects so he needed to be by a children's hospital when he was born so of course primary children's was here and then there was another hospital somewhere but they chose to come here and uh her husband actually he was infantry and you know, on the front lines his whole career and because of this he moved here and became a recruiter but uh hmm. And it just all lined up to where her being here, being able to, you know, she had her baby, um, she had been nursing him, but decided to stop early for, she just had a feeling she needed to stop. And one of the first questions they asked is if she was nursing the baby and she could say no, because she had stopped. Mm. And it's just, you know, looking back, just the Lord's hand in everything, you know, just the timing of everything just
2: was so perfect that it worked out. Wow. Wow. You know,
0: your life it has been, you have described your life as blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. You could see it as trial after trial after trial after trial. Why have you chosen to see it as a collection
2: of blessings? I think it's easier in hindsight. I think going through it, like there were times
1: when I would go in for dialysis and I, there's been so many complications during that, that there's times where it's, you know, I haven't always had this attitude. Um, you know, Yeah, there were, you know, I was coaching my oldest son's baseball team and they do a fistula in your arm or they do the dialysis and it's mine plotted off and they you know I spent I ended up in the hospital on a game day and I wasn't happy about it and you know there's been times where I've been you know even as an adult in the hospital by myself at night and it's just like why do why does it all keep piling up you know why does this keep happening and But looking, it's easier to look, you know, as I look back on the things that I've been through, the people I've met, the people that have come into my life, I still am in contact with nurses that have cared for me, you know, in the dialysis center and things like that. Just, you know, it's better to remember the good times than to remember, than to dwell on the hard times. And that's just kind of always been my attitude. You just, you know, like I, I said, my motto is there's always somebody that's got it worse than I do. And I
2: I feel bad for them. But Yes.
0: I love that answer, Brian, because it's real. Um, and I think that right. rarely is somebody 100% pessimistic or 100% optimistic. Right. It right. seems like 99% of us. We have days where we think, "Hey, I was I was living a celestial level today." And we have days where we think, "Man, today was a telestial day. Today I just yeah. I was struggling. I had a bad attitude. I was grouchy. I just wasn't feeling it." Yeah, and I think that, I think that's an honest, real way to have a self-assessment. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, what would you? Well, I guess I guess okay. So, second kidney transplant. Um yeah. when was that? How many years ago? It was, ago was that?
1: uh it, it was uh seven years ago.
0: Seven years ago. How have things been going since then? Really well. Okay, good. Really
1: good. Yeah. I mean I you know, I'm my my immune system is shot, you know, but so I get sick, I catch pretty much anything that comes around. But
2: you know, other than that, things have been really good. I've you know. Wow.
0: Okay. What would you tell yourself in, what would you tell 7th grade Brian?
2: Or 8th or grade Brian? Take advantage of every situation you can. You know, there were times where I didn't I didn't do the things that I wanted to do because I, I felt limited. Um, and I kind of wish I would have done a little more than I, I did. Okay. And to know that you are loved, you have a lot of people that love you, you, you're never alone. As we close would you be willing to share your testimony with me? Yeah, I'd love to. I have a deep love for the Savior. Um, I know that he knows each of us individually. I know that he has a plan for us. I know that he answers prayers. It's not always in the timeline that we want, But he knows what we need when when we need it better than we do. And he is there for us. Um, And he answers prayers in many different ways. Um, It's
1: not always going to be grand, you know, with angels or trumpets, but sometimes it's somebody passing you on the street, giving you a smile or saying hello.
2: Um, I know that I know this gospel is true, and I'm thankful for the blessings that it's brought into my life. To have that knowledge, um, to be able to share it with others, um, even simple things. When I was on dialysis, I, you know, you're there for four
1: hours, and they have little TVs, but that gets old after a while. And so I started taking in books, and a lot of them were, you know, biographies of the prophets. I had other patients that, you know, would start reading books, you know, religious books like that, and they said, you know, you were an example to to me to start doing that. And it's just, you know, simple
2: things like that, just doing the things that keep the Lord with us at all times or the Holy Ghost with us. Um, I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.